Thank you. Hello. How do you follow that up? Guitar playing, belly showing, excited Joe. The belly dancers were on yesterday. My daughter Sophia is two years old and Edwina tells me she couldn't pull her away from the belly dancers. I don't know what that means, but let's pray again. Heavenly Father, thank you for this part of your word. Thank you for this extraordinary event that happened in the history of your world, an event which shows us what is going to come again. And so we ask, please, as we consider the story of Noah, as we see the world as it was in his day, and we consider our world, that we would respond in the way that is sensible to turn to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as a brief intro, we're going to do Noah over three weeks. This week, the world in Noah's time. Next week, the salvation of God's people. And the week after that, what does it look like to be one of God's people? Now, let me begin with this. It's not fair. It's just not fair. Have you ever said that? You ever said those words? We do it as kids, don't we? It's not fair. It's kind of what it sounds like when we're little. Not fair. How come he gets to eat that and I can't? How come he gets to drink that and I can't? How come he gets to stay up late and I don't? How come he doesn't have to go to school? How come he gets to drive the car? Because he's your dad is kind of the answer to that one, right? It's just not fair. Now, what's kind of cute when you're a child becomes quite serious when you're an adult. It's just not fair. The world, well, people who do well don't seem to be rewarded and the wicked get away with it. It's just not fair. Have you heard the one of Johnny and the biology exam? Have you heard that one? Uh, Little Johnny, very studious boy. He was the kind of kid who'd always be at home doing summaries of his notes after school, who would, who would reread the teacher's notes. And when exam time came, you knew where you would find Johnny. In the study, working hard, he'd, uh, he'd do those, I don't know, colour-coded tables that people make. I still don't know why you make them, but he'd make them. And uh, he'd do past papers. He'd have the summaries. He'd have his, his crib sheet, all the notes that he needed to learn. Johnny was very studious. Now, Johnny's classmates... They were kind of the opposite. They'd be out shooting hoops, having some fun, couldn't care less what the teacher had told them, never thought to study at all. So the day came of the biology exam, and in goes Johnny, confident in his preparation. He's worked hard. He will get a good result. And he sits down, and he starts to get a bit worried because he sees that there's only one question in the biology exam. And then he gets even more worried when he sees that the question is about birds. I mean, Johnny, he'd he'd studied frogs, he'd studied rats, but birds. And then he sees what the question is. And the question says, around the room, there are 50 pictures of birds. You need to write down their names. So Johnny thinks, all right, well, let's have a go at it. And he gets up and he takes the paper over to the first one and his jaw drops when he sees that all there is in the picture is the feet of each bird. Everything else is blanked out. You've got to tell the bird just from its feet. And Johnny thinks, oh, my goodness, what am I supposed to do? And he starts trying and he sees some webbed feet and he thinks, oh, this has got to be a duck. And, And he's just getting more and more and more frustrated until finally he throws his paper on the ground. and He says, it's not fair. And he storms towards the door. And the teacher says, boy, stop. What's your name? And Johnny turns to the teacher and he goes, you tell me. 
and walks out. That's a lame excuse for a joke, right? But it's, it's, it's not fair, Johnny says. I worked hard. Where is my reward? It's not fair, we say. The wicked seem to go unchallenged. Now, we've spoken of the state that our world is in. We know what goes on. We know that there is wickedness in the world. And it seems to go unpunished. I'll tell you when I feel it, when I'm driving. That's when I feel it the most. I suspect you feel it too. You're driving along and... right, And you think, well, why doesn't someone catch him? And the one time I'm going five k's over, the blue light's behind me, right? When someone's tailgating you, when the person merges without indicating, when... Don't you, I mean, I kind of have this... Oh, I'll tell you one that really bugs me. People who sit in the middle lane, stay left unless you're overtaking. Isn't that what we're supposed to... And they're just sitting there, kind of going along. And you just wish you were an unmarked cop car and you can put the light on and and kind of, yeah, catch him. Do you, do you, are you with me? Do you feel that too? If you drive, I suspect you do. Otherwise, you're the person in the middle lane. <laughs> Does God not care? Now, these are the questions that we're going to revisit as we go through this story of Noah. Will God punish the wicked? And will God save his people? Will God punish the wicked? And will God save his people? Is God fair? Does he care? Now, before we get to Noah, we have to do some context work. We've got to kind of go back and get the story so far. And before we do that, who knows the story of Noah? Hands up if you know the story of Noah. Hands up, come on, hands up high if you know the story of Noah. Now, keep your hand up, keep it up, keep it up, up, up. Keep your hand up if you learnt it as a child. Sunday school or... Right, so that's most of your hands. I don't know why. This is one of the most horrible stories in the Bible. And, and we're, aki, aki, the little animals are going on and, and God killed them all. No, we'll get there. We'll get there. Let's have a run up to the story of Noah. What's happened so far? Now, it's easy to do context because Noah happens in Genesis 6. So there's only five chapters of the Bible so far to cover. Let me do that for you really quickly. Genesis 1 to 3, God created the world. He made it good. He made it orderly. Humanity was created in God's image to rule the world. Man and woman were in relationship with God and in right relationship to the world. Genesis 3, however, humanity rebels against God. Remember Adam and Eve, they ate the fruit, the serpent. He lied to them. They believed the lies. And as a consequence, God cursed the world and he cursed Adam and Eve. No longer in right relationship with him, no longer in right relationship with the world. Have you ever wondered, well, in fact, the Bible could have stopped there. The Bible could have finished at the end of Genesis chapter 3 if it wasn't for one verse. See, the Bible, Genesis 1 to 3, makes perfect sense of the world. Why is the world messed up? Why is work hard? Why is childbirth painful? Why are we out of relationship with God? Well, Genesis 1 to 3, done. Right? There's the answer. But there's one verse that means the Bible had to continue. And it's Genesis 3 and verse 15. God made this promise to humanity. He said this, speaking to the serpent, God said, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The rest of the Bible could be described as where's Wally? We're looking for this one. 
We're on a quest to find this serpent crusher, the one who would restore the world, who would undo the curse, who would bring us rest. All right, Genesis 1 to 3. Genesis 4, what's the first thing that happens? Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel. And we're thinking, beauty, is one of these going to be the serpent crusher? Is one of these going to fix it? I mean, it's a short story, but fantastic. And Abel, he's a righteous man. Now, you remember what happened with Cain and Abel? Well, Abel isn't going to be the serpent crusher because Cain murdered him. He's dead. And Cain's not going to be the serpent crusher because he's a murderer. We need a righteous man to fulfill this job. And as Genesis 4 progresses, we get the genealogy of Cain, his descendants. What's the line of Cain like? And we end up with this bloke called Lamech. And Lamech says, you thought Cain was bad? I'm worse. Now the line of Cain isn't going to give us the serpent crusher and it can't be the line of Abel because he's dead. Now at the end of chapter 4, Adam and Eve have another son called Seth. And Seth, this is what Eve says when Seth is born, God has granted me another child in place of Abel. And now we're thinking, excellent, could Seth be the righteous one? Encouragingly, at the end of chapter 4, Chapter 4 and verse 26, these are, at that time, it says, men began to call on the name of the Lord. That's very encouraging. We have another son, Seth, who is the replacement for Abel, the righteous one, and people begin to call upon the name of the Lord. And I take it that what they're calling is for God to fulfill his promise. Bring the serpent crusher. Fix the problem. But all Seth does is have kids. And then all his kids do is have more kids. And then they have more kids and then more kids and more kids. And where is this one that we are searching for? And so Genesis chapter 5 is the genealogy of Seth. It's one of those chapters that if you're on the Bible reading roster, you really hope you don't get this one, right? Because they're just names. And everyone who's on the Bible reading roster is going, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's kind of boring, you could say. I mean, it's this person had a son and then this person had a son and then they died and he died and more sons and more death and what's the point? Well, the point is we're searching for this one. Down each generation, will this be the one? Now, as an aside, I added up all the ages of these guys. I mean, they all lived to be 1,000 and 900 and 800. By the time Noah is born, all of them, except for Adam, are still alive. So Noah could have met his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. How cool is that? Now, Seth dies fairly quickly by the time Noah's about 30, but all the rest of them are still alive, all the way up until the story of the flood. Anyway, we're getting sidetracked. So Seth's genealogy, we're nearly there, we're nearly at Noah. Seth's genealogy compared to Cain's genealogy, remember Cain, he arrived with this bloke Lamech, and Lamech speaks and he says, I'm wicked. Now, Seth's line also ends up with a bloke called Lamech. Chapter 5 and verse 28. And Lamech is the first one to speak out of Seth's line. And listen to what he says. Lamech had a son, he named him Noah, and said, He will comfort us in the labour and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground that the Lord has cursed. Is this the one. Here is a promise spoken about Noah. He will bring us relief. He will bring us some sort of salvation. In our quest 
for the Saviour, have we found him? The problem is the state of the world. Now, chapter 6 and verse 5, did you notice the description of the world? The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. In Genesis so far, we'd seen individual evil men. Adam in his sin, Cain in his murder, Lamech in his wickedness. But now God looks on the world in the time of Noah and all that he sees is wickedness. Every thought, every inclination, every desire was only evil all the time. You can't get a much more damning description than that. Now, before verse 5, though, there's those very strange verses in verses 1 to 4. I don't know if you kind of picked up on that as it was read for us. Genesis 6, let me read them again and then make a few comments. Genesis 6, verse 1. When men began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. They married any of them they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. Now I take it that this is a description of a world gone utterly topsy-turvy, where the wickedness that began with Adam and Eve's sin has now reached a magnitude that leads to 6.5, that leads to that description of the world. And I had a couple of questions as I read it. I mean, you might have some of your own. Uh, who, who are these sons of God? What does it mean that God shortens or that God has a limit on the days? Who are the Nephilim? Now, these are some really quite tricky verses. Uh, I, I'm going to give you a couple of options and I'm going to tell you which one I think it is, uh, but I won't think you're a heretic if you want to hold to the other option. So firstly then, who are these sons of God? Now traditionally, one of the answers has been that they are some sort of angel. They're a supernatural creature. Uh, for some reason, they're on the earth and, uh, and they go about their business with women and so these other kind of creatures are born. Uh, that's, that's one of the options. Uh, the support for that comes really from 2 Peter where 2 Peter is talking about the day of Noah and that age, and he does seem to talk about these supernatural beings who are walking around. Uh, so that's very strong support for that. The only real downside with that is that nowhere else in the Bible are angels spoken of as being able to have this sort of interaction with humans, to, to be able to procreate with human women. Um, anyway, there you go. So the other option is that the sons of God are the descendants of Seth. So remember, so far in Genesis 1-5, to you end up with these two competing genealogies and one of them descends ever more into wickedness and the other one, the line of Seth, is supposed to be the line of those who call on the name of the Lord, who are the righteous ones. And it could be that what has happened is that these sons of God, these descendants of Seth, have seen the sons of Cain and have decided to intermarry. Now, that view has going for it the context. The context sets up these two lines, 
and culminates in this intermarriage which results in God saying enough. The downside is 2 Peter seems to suggest that there's some sort of supernatural being. Personally, I think that that second option works well with the context. The descendants of Seth, who are supposed to be God's people, intermarry, choose anyone. They don't care about who they marry. And we end up with wickedness. Now, that's a a theme that comes up a number of times in the Bible. Solomon is perhaps the most uh, notorious example of that. He was supposed to be a God-fearing king. He married women from all sorts of nations and they led him astray from God. Now, what does it mean then that the Lord says, my spirit will not contend with man for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. I'll tell you the first way that I read it, and I've read it like this for years. It's only recently that I even realized that there was another way of reading it. Up until now, we've been told that people live to be a thousand. And this is God saying, that's it, I'm going to make your lives shorter. That's how I've always read it. You know, you, the most you're going to live to be is 120. So I was talking about an individual, each individual human will only live to be so old. The other way of reading it is that this is God speaking to humanity, not to an individual human, but to all of humanity saying, enough, your days are numbered. 120 years from now, you will be judged. And in the story, that's exactly what happens. 120 or so years later, the flood comes. See, I read it the first way because it strikes me as strange that these people live to be a thousand. And it strikes me then as kind of reasonable that God says you're going to live to be 120. But that's not a question that the passage really cares about. It it never seems to be strange that people live to be a thousand. But what is going to happen is that God is going to call the wicked to account. Now finally, who are these Nephilim? Well, I think that that's an unfortunate non-translation. So the word Nephilim is a Hebrew word, it's, it's, not a, it's not a title, it's not a special word, it's just a Hebrew word, and it's used elsewhere in the Old Testament where it gets translated as giant. There you go. So they could have put, the giants were on the earth in those days. And, I mean, that kind of makes a bit more sense. It doesn't have to be this supernatural creature, it's just some sort of big people. I mean, we later on get someone like Goliath who is described as a giant. There's a few options. I'm, I'm very happy to keep kind of going backwards and forwards on those. But let's get back to the point. The world has descended into wickedness, such that by Genesis 6 and verse 5, even though we've found this bloke Noah, who maybe is going to be someone good, the world itself is evil. I wonder if that doesn't describe our world, our times, our hearts. Every desire of their heart was only evil all the time. Now it's true, Christians have God working in them. We as God's people, God begins to change our hearts so that we no longer live for self, but we live for Him. But for someone who isn't a Christian, in whom God isn't doing that work, I take it that this is a description of their heart as well. Now we've learnt that being nice gets us what we want. We've learnt to be sociable and kind to one another. But that doesn't change what's going on in here. That we are still selfish. And God calls that wickedness. Uh, let, me, let me tell you another a little anecdote about Sophia. I'm going to have to stop one of these days when she gets old enough to know that I'm talking about her. And then I'll start on Eleanor. But in the meantime, I'll tell you about Sophia. 
So Sophia's two, and, uh, and, and she, she has learned that she needs to cover up her selfishness with niceness. That being nice gets you places. So she'll say, no, no, I want to watch my wiggles, in, in a much more high-pitched kind of voice, right? And she's just whinge, no, and then she'll have a tantrum. And we say to her, well, ask politely, please. No, in a sentence. And so she says, please, Daddy, can I watch some more wiggles, please, Daddy? For some reason, we have to have please, Daddy, at the start and at the end. That's just how she does it. Please, Daddy, can I watch some more wiggles, please, Daddy? Yeah, okay, here you go, have another episode. Now, what's changed? Her heart hasn't changed. She still wants exactly the same thing, whether she's being utterly whingy or polite and nice. Her heart hasn't changed. We've just taught her to paper it over, to cover over her heart with niceness. I wonder if that's what we've done with the world. We, we, are, we interact with each other well because we think it gets us what we want rather than because our hearts aren't selfish. And Christians, we need to be careful of this. We need to be careful because we are the <laughs> consummate paper-overers. We are so good at covering up our sin, at being nice. Yeah, I'm going all right. Yeah, yeah, no, no worries. Oh, I'm going back to my porn now. <laughs> Oh, I'm going to go back to my gossiping now. (laughs) I'm going to tell some lies, but I'm going to tell everyone that I'm okay. We need to be careful that our hearts, well, that we're not hypocrites. That is our present day. We are as wicked as they are. And what happened? What did God do to a world that was so full of evil? Well, chapter 6 and verse 6, the Lord decided to wipe it out. The Lord was grieved, it says, that he had made man on the earth. His heart was filled with pain. And the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. God was grieved. He saw what the world had become and it filled him with sorrow. I wonder, did God change his mind? I mean, surely God knew what was going to happen. We talk about God being sovereign and predestination, all these big words that just mean that God's plan was going to happen for the whole of history. So what does it mean that God was grieved? Had he originally thought, I'm going to keep them all going, and then he decided, no, enough's enough, I'm going to wipe them out? Does God change his mind? Now, I think this is especially important when we talk about prayer. Because when it comes to prayer, does prayer do anything? Or has God already planned what he's going to do and we just pray because it's kind of nice and a bit holy and whatever? Will it change God's mind? Uh, we can use some, some big words and there's different ways of talking about this. Accommodation is one, although how does that work? I don't know. Uh, let me give you one example that God does change his mind. He both has planned what will happen and our prayers really do make a difference. So Moses, you remember the story of Moses, he was in charge of the Israelites, he went up the mountain to meet God, while he was up on the mountain, the Israelites, what do they do? Oh, we just threw our earrings into this fire and out came a golden calf and we just happened to worship it, is what they say. And God says, you're right, I'm going to wipe you out. And he says to Moses, I'm going to destroy them all. I'm going to kill them and I'm going to start again with you. And Moses could have been chuffed, he could have gone, yeah, right, that sounds cool. But instead he said, no, no, please God, save them. They're your people. And God says, yeah, okay. 
The prayer of Moses changed God's mind. Somehow God is sovereign and he has planned everything that will happen. And yet in his grief, he decides to wipe mankind out. And so God destroyed the world. Has anyone seen the movie Noah? Anyone seen the movie? No, no, no one. Oh, a couple of people. At night church, everyone's hands went up. At 8 o'clock, most, a lot of hands went up. They must be movie watchers. I haven't seen it. We're in that awkward time in between when it stops showing at the cinemas and you can't get it yet on DVD. And it's kind of it's a bit annoying, but too busy with young kids, that's it. Uh, but I've been told that there's this one scene. Noah's just entered into the ark, the doors closed, the waters start to fall, and what you hear is the cries of desperation of men and animals dying. I don't know why this is a children's story. Every person on the face of the earth was killed by God's judgment. How's that for timing? God destroyed the world. He brought his judgment upon the wickedness of those who thought they could live and eat and drink and marry and be merry and ignore God and continue in their selfishness, in their wickedness. And God said, enough. Well, so what about us? This, this, this is the, the prelude to the story of Noah. Next week we'll do the flood. This week we wanted to consider the world around Noah. What are we supposed to learn from this? Well, remember that question we started with. Is it fair? Will God punish the wicked? Will he ever bring an end to what seems to be endless evil? I'm going to read from 2 Peter chapter 2 again. Uh, that passage, second passage that was read for us, which hopefully those of you who have been here the last month are well acquainted with. I'm convinced that Peter was doing his quiet times in Noah when he wrote this letter. And we read these words in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Knowing that God has destroyed the world before, knowing that God has held the wicked to account as he did in the days of Noah, knowing that he destroyed the world under Lot with Sodom and Gomorrah, knowing these things we, hear, we read in 2 Peter 2, 9, the Lord knows how to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment. Or over in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3, he says this, You must understand, first of all, that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing, following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word the heavens existed. And the earth was formed out of water and by water, and by these waters also the world of that time was destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. All scoffers will come. Where's God? <laughs> it's been a few thousand years. Where is he? He's forgotten. He's gone. Live and let live. Be merry. Eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. There's no judgment. It's very politically incorrect to speak about God destroying the wicked. Anytime we have that sort of a conversation in the public sphere, oh, stop being judgmental. Right? You're just a bunch of wowsers. Oh, stop. God has destroyed the world before. And he will do so again. 
He's holding the current world on hold for the fire that is to come. Now, God's patient, okay? I mean, 120 years for them. I mean, it's been a couple of thousand for us, but to him, it's like a day. It's only been two days since Jesus died, right? God is patient, but the judgment will come. Do you believe this? Do you believe God's assessment of the hearts of humanity that we are wicked? Do you believe God's promise, as he did with Noah, so the world will be destroyed again? Do you believe this? For if it is true, it brings a sense of urgency that nothing else can. The immediate that is about to happen clarifies and focuses. And so I want to ask three things of you. Firstly, are you ready? Are you ready to face the judgment that is coming? Now, it'll be a couple of weeks before we properly look into what is the salvation from this judgment. But let me say this, it is found in Jesus. If you don't know what I'm talking about, please come and talk to me. I want to help you be ready for this judgment that is to come. Are you ready? And knowing that you're ready, knowing that you're on the boat, so to speak, are you concerned for those still in the water? Are you concerned that the judgment is coming and it is coming on them? Now, term one, it's our engaging term where we seek to reach out and reach into our community, meet people, prepare the paths such that when the time comes we can preach the gospel to them. Are you engaging with the people around you? Concerned for them. Judgment is coming. And thirdly, do you desire that judgment to come. I mean, I, it's, a, it's a tension really because the people that we love, if they're not ready to meet Jesus, well, we want them saved before he comes back. But we want the evil, the wickedness, the pain, the suffering to end. We want it to be fair. We want God to bring his justice. Are you ready? Are you reaching out are you praying that Jesus would return? Let me finish with these words from 2 Peter chapter 3. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, these are very strong words. Help us to believe you, to believe your assessment of our hearts, to believe your promise that judgment is coming. Father, please may we not be like the world of Noah's time, concerned with living in the now, forgetting about you, being caught by surprise. May each one of us be ready for that judgment day. And Father, knowing that it's coming, knowing the salvation that we have through the death and resurrection of Jesus, please put that sense of urgency in our hearts. That our every breath, our every moment, our every day would be concerned for those who are perishing. Make us bold, Father. And we ask, please, that Jesus would come back again soon to fix the world of evil, to restore that which was cursed, to bring about our new home of righteousness. Amen. We're going to sing our next song together.